Welcome to the Sports Psychologist. Today it's golf and we answer all of your golfing psychology questions. Can you train your mind to play better golf? What kind of skills do you need? And are the yips real or all in our heads? I'm joined by Dr. Mark Campbell, who's done a lot of work in this area, and he advises top golfers. He also lectures in the University of Limerick in Ireland. Mark, I find there are a lot of people, they aren't that hugely interested in the sport of golf itself, but nearly everyone is interested in the psychology of golf. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think um, this week would have been the week of the Masters, and I think a lot of Irish people and people around the world tune into that, golfers in particular, they just love the... uh, I don't know, I think there's something very exciting about uh, high-level golf, particularly as it kind of progresses over a number of days. So what we see is, you know, people hanging on to a lead and playing into the second day or the third day. It's a four-day event, obviously, so there's great excitement come uh, the Sunday afternoon or the Sunday evening for us watching, you know, this all play out. There's quite a lot of drama there. Um, I think from a psychological point of view, golf is fascinating because it's untimed you know it takes five hours four hours to play a game of golf and and it's all on you you can't be substituted you can't be hauled off by the manager so you take all the plaudits when you win um and it's also very exposing obviously if you're having a particularly bad day you know so if that's the case then does that mean that the millions of us that watch these golf tournaments that we're never really cheering that player on except maybe on the Sunday when you see somebody come down on that final round and we're just kind of waiting for the meltdown. Yeah, I mean, I think you take Shane Lowry, for example, he had a, you know, a, a so-called meltdown a few years ago with the big lead in the US Open. And um, yeah, I suppose we watched that through, uh, through uh, you know, with a mixture of emotions, really, because we were cheering him on as a, a fellowship but. Uh, conversely then I think it was nice to see him do the do the business last summer in the open in Royal Court Rush so uh, I think we have a mixture of, of emotions when we watch uh, high level sport don't we we really invest in it and get into it we do like to see the highs we do like to also see the lows as well we all love to be armchair experts I, I presume though or do you yourself maybe when you're sitting there watching a tournament maybe of a Thursday can you tell who's probably going to be there or thereabouts to Sunday or is it impossible to tell? I think golf is very hard to predict, particularly and there's very few people lead an event from start to finish. So that's a, a really remarkable piece, really. It's that idea of leading Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all the way through to Sunday. It's a, it's a very rare thing to do. And I think because of the mental demands of the sport and the expectations of winning and you know, you're doing press conferences on Thursday and people are asking you, you know, how does it feel? You're, you look like you're in the lead and you're, you're going to win and people like yourself and your former life or your current life. So, like, they have that kind of burden of expectation. Um, and that burden of expectation just carries right through, doesn't it? So, like, I think from a viewing point of view, you know, as a psychologist, I'm very interested to see how people deal with that. And um, it's very, I think, you know, the big, the big tournaments now, you can, you can watch people play every shot, you can watch every hole, see their temperament, their demeanor, how they're speaking to their caddy. Um, so from a, you know, from a psychological point of view, it's fascinating because, you know, you can notice little changes in demeanors and body language and uh, maybe you can make some bold predictions then that this guy doesn't look very comfortable at all here. He's, he's you know, he looks quite nervous. He's very uptight. He's cagey. Um, you know, and we see that the first few holes of an event, even let Shane Lowry last summer in the open, you know, we had a very cage couple of holes and he kind of got it together, which was great to see. But, um, 
yeah, fascinating view from a psychological point of view anyway. If that's the case, would you be better off then of a Thursday to really no, be nowhere near in the le- top of the leaderboard, just, you know, be in the pack, so to speak? Yeah, I think I think most of these guys would love to be hovering. You know, they'd love to be, you know, they all talk about being in contention. You know, they don't talk about being in the lead, uh, leading from the front. Uh, very few people are good with that kind of thing, except maybe Brooks Kopka there the last couple of years in majors. Uh, they all want to be hovering in contention, maybe two shots behind. No, no one looking at them, no pressure on them. They're just doing their thing. And then come Sunday, halfway through Sunday, maybe just kind of uh, break out of the pack and go on to win. I think most of them, if they're being completely honest with you, would probably say that that would be the ideal scenario. Conversely, then, when you think of some of the golfers that we've seen down throughout the years, I mean, let's use Tiger Woods as an example. I mean, all Tiger's career, I mean, the recent history may be set aside and all his own controversies up until that point. We kind of always knew from day one he was a bit bad tempered, bit, you know, curt, short. You know, the attitude, you could argue, wasn't great, but it didn't really bother his golf. Yeah, I mean, that's the remarkable thing about personality, isn't it? Everyone is different. You know, psychology is the this idea of individual differences and knowing yourself is good psychology. You know, good sports psychology is knowing yourself and how you react in situations and how you behave and so on. So if you're normally a kind of a cranky uptight person and you uh, get a bit ratty and a bit irritated and curse and, you know, all those kind of things, then there's no reason to change that just because it's, uh, you know, the biggest event of the year or the most important shot of the year or whatever. And conversely, then you have other people who are very chilled, very, very laid back. And those people, you know, sometimes struggle, I think, to kind of keep that going when the pressure gets on, you know, whereas the more uptight people just tend to be, you know, uptight and gritty and, you know, ratty and so on. And they they just look like they're doing their thing a little bit more. But everyone is different. So it's like it really is that idea of knowing yourself, knowing what you need in a particular situation. In your line of work, and we use golf as a continuing example here. What's the situation that makes somebody decide to pick up the phone and say, right, I need to talk to a sports psychologist? Yeah, I suppose traditionally it was um, something is broken. It needs to be fixed. Uh, I've been playing horrible shite there recently and it's just, you know, it's come to a head now or maybe it's deselection or it's, uh, you know, loss of income or status or whatever it might be so sometimes traditionally it was it was that kind of approach it was people looking for help to fix some some sort of an issue that had become apparent um but i think in recent years it's kind of changing and um like i work with the leinster the leinster golf teams the under 14s right through to the men's teams and you know, I think that the change and the kind of culture is there already. There's a lot of people who will proactively look out for, uh, you know, a good psychologist to work with um, just so that they can kind of upskill, you know, this idea of upskilling, you know, working on the kind of strengths that they have or learning a little bit more so that they know a bit more. So they've got more tools in their, you know, their, their kind of uh, their, their, their work box or whatever it might be. So there's a little bit of that, but I think... You know, if I was to be completely honest, I'd say it's probably still 60, 40, 70, 30. You know, something is broken and I need a kind of a, a quick fix, really, which is not ideal. There's a lot of um, a lot of very good golf coaches in Ireland in particular who are very, um, I suppose, psychologically minded insofar as they can appreciate just how much of a, 
a mental demand, you know, competitive golf places on on people. And they would kind of maybe preach a little bit about the importance of it. Uh, some of them try and do it themselves, obviously, as we know. But a lot of them will say, look, this would be really good for you. I think this is what you kind of need because they're, they're, they're the people who work, you know, day in, day out with these guys and girls. So they can, you know, they listen to them and they will proactively take their advice and kind of uh, expertise off the back of that. Um, but yeah, it's not fully kind of bedded in yet. Let's say you're asked to work with a young golfer. We'll call him Joe, just for argument's sake here. And you can see why people have gotten in touch with you. He he looks like he has the goods. He has the talent. He could go, to use that phrase, all the way. But he's got some issues, like maybe some emotional control issues or anger issues. How do you even approach that? Because, you know, at the end of the day, you can't go in there and push for him. Absolutely. And uh, it is uh, it is a major challenge, I think, particularly with, um, you know, hypothetically, if Joe was underage, let's say, um, then you obviously have to uh, work with parents as well um, and guardians and so on. So there's that kind of element there as well. And how do you establish a bit of trust and how do they, you know, think that you've got their best interests at heart and really listen to you and take on board what you're saying? You know, hypothetically, there's a lot of things that have to happen there to kind of click into place. Um, and that obviously can't happen over one or two sessions. So there is this kind of a slower lean that is needed and trying to get that across to people who want this quick fix because they're getting a bit too angry or a bit too hot when they're playing. When I was recording this podcast beforehand, I canvassed some friends and I asked them, look, if there's any question you could ask him, what would you like to ask him? And several of them came back with the same one or a variant of the question, which was, When I'm playing on X golf course, there's a certain hole that gives me trouble. I never shoot well there. I never putt well there. I never tee off well there, whatever it is. But it always seems to be a thing around a particular spot or a particular hole or a particular point on a golf course. Is that common? Sometimes. So, you know, trying to convince them that, look, you know, we'll have a chat. uh, We'll connect again. We'll do three or four sessions before we even kind of really start tackling this kind of stuff. Uh, can can be challenging to to set the scene there but if they appreciate the work and and think that it might benefit them then they might see that one through but again like you can't go on the course with them and you know uh you know try and calm their emotions down and so on you just need to make them more aware uh more aware of how they react in certain situations and maybe give them a few strategies uh, usually thinking strategies for kind of reframing uh, issues that they have out there and treating it more like a marathon not of a not like a sprint and and so on but it is a work in progress and most of the time you know hypothetically working with a character like joe you would be what i would be wanting to work with them uh before and after they play a kind of a decent level of an event and then we would take that kind of message going forward you know so how did this go how did that event go what kind of things did you notice and so on so there'll be some work done before it and the event would be used as a bit of a kind of a test case or a pilot study, you know. And should we think about that whole, like in advance of playing it, maybe a few days before we go out to that course? Or should we just put out of our head completely, endeavour to forget all about it and not think about it once until you're there facing it on the day? Yeah, I mean, that's the fascinating part about golf, right? Because it's on time you have all day to think about a particular difficult hole or a particular hole which always kind of gets in the way for, for you. Um, and the idea of trying to stay in the present and execute your shot and so on is 
very challenging if you have had a lot of um, failure on that particular hole or if you just really dislike that hole and, and your strategy towards that. So it's, it's a hard one to know, but I think, you know, in, from a sports psychology point of view, we talk about putting your best swing on, a, on that hole all day rather than this kind of doubting, nervous, uh, steery, guidey swing, which is what we do when we start to fear what it is that we're facing, which might be a particularly tough tee shot on this hole or whatever it might be. So the idea to reframe that, to put your absolute best swing on it or to have a very kind of uh, a very positive, uh, almost aggressive strategy might be useful there. This idea of us staying with the process, fearful thoughts, I think it's I think it's completely fine to acknowledge them in your mind and to just replace them with something more positive or more task oriented. So it's okay to say, yeah, I'm completely bricking it about that 17 hole. I hate that hole. And you know, I always mess it up. And you might be on the fifth hole, you know. You just replace that one with that, right? What do I need to do now? What's on the cards now? What am I trying to do? We'll get to that one later. You know, it's not it's not that classic and um, block it out, don't think about it, because we, we know in psychology that it's it's particularly difficult to um to block out distracting thoughts, particularly when we have a lot of, you know, cognitive load or when our when we are thinking about things a lot. So trying not to think about a, a white elephant is the traditional example. You know, everyone thinks about the white elephant before they have to think about something else. So we do we try and do something similar with uh, with a particularly difficult shot, upcoming shot like that. I suppose one of the big conundrums when it comes to sports psychology or indeed any of the psychologies is that a lot of people feel like it can't be measured, that they don't kind of see it as a measurable science or something that you can quantify. Now, I know you yourself and lots of other academics and your peers, you, you know, you publish research and stuff which gives facts, figures, numbers, improvement scales. And I know a lot of the work you've been publishing recently is about imagery and motor imagery and how that can help performance can you explain that kind of in a much more simplified version for simpletons like me to understand uh yeah i suppose like i you know as a as a psychologist we like to have science supporting what we do you know and i think traditionally some psychologists might have been less evidence-based and might have kind of promoted some of their own kind of uh, magical solutions which we don't really think uh is best practice, right? So the idea of doing research to back up what, what it is you're trying to do is important. And uh, yeah, I've been doing that for the last few years. I've had a couple of good PhD students, uh, Owen McNeil at the moment. And we're looking at action observation and mental imagery. So action observation is when we observe ourselves or someone else performing an action. So in this case, it would be looking at an expert model, a golfer like a Tiger Woods, for example, hitting putts or, or hitting drives or hitting particular shots, watching this for a few minutes and then trying to do that shot ourselves. And there's some really nice evidence from our lab and from other labs that even simply observing yourself or an expert model for 15 minutes leads to you having a better performed outcome than if you didn't observe at all. So it's a type of mental imagery, but it's kind of simulating, you're simulating the effort of hitting that drive or that foot in your mind just by merely watching it, just by observing it. And then mental imagery obviously is the is a similar construct, but it's a bit different. So you're obviously you're saying something to yourself or you're trying to uh, you're trying to generate an image of yourself putting in your mind and then you're trying to obviously physically replicate that later. So there's a little more 
mental processing required for the idea of doing mental imagery or motor imagery, which would be movement related images in the mind uh, than there is for action observation. But what we're seeing really fascinatingly at the moment is that when we combine the two, so when we give someone a video, action observation video and a mental imagery script. So, you know, hold the club this way, feel the following, do the following. When we combine the two of them together, we see that they're more beneficial than either on their own. And they're, they're very effective for performance, particularly in putting at the moment, yeah. And how much time would you need to be giving that mental performance mind work, I suppose, to put it, to see that performance translate, to see that time translate to performance on the field, on the golf green, on the golf course, whatever? Yeah, so we just published a, a meta-analysis on mental practice uh, with my old supervisor, Aidan Morton, who passed away recently. And the meta-analysis looked at over 80 years worth of research looking at mental practice or imagery practice and so on. And the key finding, one of the key takeaways is that it's about 20 minutes of practice, mental practice. So mentally rehearsing something in your mind for 20 minutes. Now that seems quite long actually, because uh, some of the guidelines are, you know, five, 10 minutes of mental rehearsal, or maybe just mentally rehearsing it before you do your shot each time. So, um, but the meta-analysis does show that 20 minutes seems to be the optimal mental practice time. So maybe rehearsing something mentally for 20 minutes before you go to the range or before you go practice or before you go play. But that does seem like uh, a little bit long for me. And our, our recent work has looked at 10 minutes so, and seeing pretty effective results after 10 minutes of mental practice or imagery practice. And I assume that kind of knowledge, that kind of knowledge, should I say, can translate to lots of different sports like I'm thinking of Gaelic games if you're the person who takes the free or soccer where you're the person who takes the free kick basketball you're the person who takes the free throw this isn't just a golf thing oh absolutely yeah yeah so I mean like mental practice the meta-analysis of mental practice was with um, uh, self-paced skills and cognitive tasks and so on it's a whole range of things so I think for free kick takers or you know people perform self-paced actions uh, the, it crosses over really nicely into that. And even dynamic sports, it crosses over too. But how you image or how you rehearse that is probably a little more dynamic as well, receiving a pass, taking a pass and so on. But there's nothing to stop people. You know, we call it motor imagery now because we encourage people to move, to dynamically move. So you're not lying in a on a couch somewhere in a dark room, imaging yourself doing well. You're actually, you know, you're on the practice ground, you're on the pitch and you're just, you're rehearsing something coming up and you're taking the pass, whatever that might be, um, in your mind while doing it physically. So it's combining the two, which we think is the really kind of the next frontier, I suppose, for uh, imagery research. This might mean be a very simplistic take on what you've just said, but I'm just thinking the, of the amount of elite teams that I know have centres of excellence and they have auditoriums where they get to sit in and watch maybe their own performances from the week before or maybe watch how the team that they're coming up against next is going to be playing and they can kind of put into their minds this is how this guy likes to do this thing this is how like that girl likes to do that thing whereas maybe does that mean that that kind of thing could be taking up a lot of headspace that you mightn't necessarily get that much benefit of and maybe out of it and you should maybe be doing some of this practice out in the field instead yeah absolutely and I think um, if you look at if you look at some good rugby teams and some good football teams and, and GAA, they do a, a captain's run or a walkthrough. 
of what their strategy is for an upcoming game. And I think a lot of that is very imagery based. If you think about it, they're walking through, they're doing slower pace movements, but they're doing their, their strategies, their runs, their decoys, their whatever it might be. So that kind of, um, you know, walk through of what they're intending to do is very imagery. Uh, but I think maybe not a lot of, you know, uh, club teams or not a lot of semi-elite teams might, they mightn't actually do that or they mightn't have the time to do that. So what they're doing there instead is they're, they're doing kind of video analysis on the fly. So they're sending you your clips on a Sunday night and asking you to review them and so on. Um, the unfortunate part of that really is that they're maybe a little more mistake focused than they need to be and a, a bit more video nasty than, than video positive or, or, and so on. You know, we, we hear, uh, Paul McGinley years ago for the Ryder Cup team he had in the locker room before the players went out he had you know each player on a, a loop on video uh, performing particularly well holding putts you know hitting great shots winning events and so on and a lot of the players seemed to you know talked about the benefit they got from that from seeing themselves doing particularly well and seeing all this kind of positive uh, video feedback in the locker room before they went out and after they came back in you know. So using the carrot instead of the stick. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because we think about coaches and I think coaches are, um, you know, a lot of coaches are very, are very focused on improving mistakes, you know? Um, so they're very focused on noticing mistakes so that they can then improve them. But, uh, maybe there needs to be a nice, a little shift in the balance there to actually, you know, emphasizing what people do particularly well and injecting a little bit more confidence or a little bit more competence in, you know, the kind of roles that people can fulfill on a team. But I know there's a balance there. So, you know, it's a tricky one. We can't have a discussion about the psychology of golf without asking you about the golf yips. Um, we've heard over the years so many examples of players saying that these came upon them at the worst possible time, which is why they didn't perform, which is why things didn't work out the way they looked like they might have. Now, the golf yips, is that actually a thing? Um. Well, it is, yeah. There's there's two types of yips. So there's a physiological condition, um, muscular dystonia or something. I can't remember the exact term for it at the moment. Which is a you know a medical condition where people have you know uncontrollable shaking and it's uh, it's it's neural based and so on. Um, very 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 few people have that. So most people have this kind of other type of yips, which is. Uh, uh, psychologically based yep so it's in your head so you start thinking about something and you get some excessive uh nerves or anxiety around an upcoming shot and typically we'll see this in golfers over short cuts uh, or chip shots so in other words the kind of um smaller actions that they need to make uh, you know they just get particularly tense over them and they they yip it so in other words they have this uh, excessive uh muscular action for a small you know, sensory motor skill. Does that mean then that, say I decide that I have the yips and that's why I can't make that short putt, is that really a psychological reaction to my brain nearly protecting my own, maybe my own integrity, my own confidence, my own ability to play by saying, you know, of course you've got the yips, look, look what's happening to your hands, whereas really you don't have that physiological reaction at all. Why does it happen? Um, yeah. Overthinking, I suppose, initially, and then idea of, of uh, failure following failure following failure so someone noticing that they're particularly bad at missing short puts and then they start thinking that they're a bad short putter 
and then they might try to attribute reasons for why they're a bad short butter and they might come up with this idea of yips and then they have this lovely self-fulfilling prophecy then every time they get up over short butt and they miss it and they have a nice excuse because they the yips so it's kind of a you know it's a self-fulfilling prophecy but it is curable and people lots of people you know um might just have a spell of yips or might just get over it themselves by whatever strategies they need to do well that really goes to show the power of the mind i suppose and it I suppose it kind of stands to reason then, doesn't it? In a game like golf in particular, where the brain and the mind, where they're so important, we probably should be exercising them a bit more. Um, yeah, very much so. I think a lot of people talk about um, feeling tense and looking tense and that they completely yip to chip or they yip to put. But I think if you're watching on TV, if you're watching a, a playing partner when you're on the golf course, you, you barely notice, barely notice. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, like the idea with golf is, you know, around a golf, you might hit shots for eight, seven, eight, nine minutes of a four or five hour round. So the idea is that you're thinking in between all those shots. And uh, if you have good mental skills or good mental awareness, you have good strategies for dealing with, uh, you know, the ebbs and flow of competition, the ups and downs that you have to deal with during a round and over the course of a number of rounds. Um, so like when we work with under 14s, under 16s, under 18s and so on, we just try and emphasize this fact that, you know, um, having a good mindset, a good attitude, controlling the, the kind of variables you can control, like how you feel, how confident you are, you know, your attitude towards, uh, you know, uh, challenges and threats and fear and anxiety and so on. They're the things that you have control over not where the ball ends up, not if it goes into the hole or misses, not how your opponent plays. So there is a, a large mental demand to golf. And I think people need to um, maybe take that on board a little bit more when they're trying to train and to get a little bit better at it, rather than this kind of overt emphasis on technique, which, which is there all the time because golf is quite a technical sport, but there's a huge, huge focus on technique, which we're trying to you know dispel that break it up a little bit have better training you know better sports science means having a nice mix of of different disciplines you know feeding into performance you know well there are mental challenges and i can just about hear in your background there mark you also have childcare challenges and uh, children playing outside so i'm going to get out of your hair and thank you very much for your time and hopefully this will be helpful to uh, golf players golf fans armchair psychologists and even other sports as well. So thank you very much for your time.